Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. England are heading to their second successive World Cup quarterfinal under Gareth Southgate. Last time it was Sweden. This time they have to contend with the small matter of world champions France and quite possibly the world's best player in Kylian Mbappe. But that's no reason for fear with England well fancy to emerge in some quarters from their last eight tussle. Elsewhere, Brazil play Croatia and the Netherlands face Argentina. That's on the other side of the draw. While Morocco, the vanquishers of Spain, take on Portugal with the winner of that one meeting either England or France in the semis. Joining me on Football Digest to discuss the World Cup quarterfinals live from Doha, Qatar, are Andy Dunn and John Cross. John, I want to ask you first, how are the nerves? Yeah, I'm I'm um, getting excited, getting um, anxious about it, Peter. I've got to say, just because I, <laughs> I love football so much, I love England games, I love big England nights, and I don't think you can get any bigger. The world champions, you know, at 10 o'clock local time, 7 o'clock, you know, UK audience, everyone will be glued to the TV, everyone will be watching. Um, you know, it'll be a fantastic occasion. And I do think that, that England should be should be confident, especially when you listen to. I was trying to sort of kind of suggest this in my sort of diary piece for today, really, just about when you listen to the players and what they're what they're saying, what their belief is. That, that four years ago they were along for the ride. This time, um, they really believe they can win it. What is the biggest hurdle um, on their you know blocking their path to the final? Well, it's unquestionably France. I mean, you know, don't worry about Brazil or Argentina. They're in the other half of the draw. You might meet them in the final. But if you can get past France, I think that a lot, a lot of people think, well, you know, wow, we've got to be favourites, you know, in that in that um, semi-final. That's easy, more easily done, said than done, I have to say, simply because I think France is such a fantastic side. Reigning world champions, they, in my view, they've got the best player in the world in Kylian Mbappe. There's been so much talk and um, discussion about him this week. And rightly so, he's just a phenomenal talent that gets you out of your seat. But this team should be confident. This team has gone through a lot of experiences under Gareth Southgate in, what, the last six and a half years or so. And I do think they'll be ready. They'll be um, up for it. You know, I do think that they will stick to their game plan of kind of four at the back and going out for attack. And I, I think they'll be they'll be up for it. But yeah, I'm really excited, but excited and nervous in a very positive way. Uh, absolutely. Um, you, you mentioned the back four issue and all that. We'll 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 come to that in in a little bit more detail uh, further on. Andy, I just wanted to ask you um, maybe about the psychology of the English team and. I don't know, for you guys being English overall, I suppose, in the last few weeks, because in years gone by, you know, we've had the impression maybe that the England team was, forgive me, overhyped, not as good as people said it was. And then that would always lead to disappointment that crash out last 16 quarterfinals, that kind of thing. This time, everybody says, oh, you know, France are there. They need to be respected. Uh, you know, we'll just do our stuff. We'll keep our head down. Are we sort of in danger of underplaying this really good England team? as opposed to overhyping the teams of the past? Are they on a different level, do you think, to, to teams, England teams that have gone to tournaments before? No, I don't think they're on a different level. Um, I don't think we can judge that yet. I really don't. I mean, you know, um, I, I think they've done okay to this point. This is the point that I would have expected them to get to. I think in terms of who they've played, I don't think they've had a particularly stern test yet. Um, I don't think Iran, the US... 
uh, Wales and Senegal provided a particularly stern test. Um, but I'm impressed with what they've done. You know, they've done it incredibly professionally, incredibly efficiently. Um, I don't think, for example, that this squad is any better in terms of talent than quite a few squads that have gone before. You know, the squad that went to the Euros in 2004. The squad, in fact, that went probably to South Africa 2010. You know, they, they, these were good squads. And this one's a good squad. I, I don't think it's any better than 2018. Um, I think it... it Time will tell. They'll prove they'll prove to be better if they can get past France. I do think there's an element of, um, you know, this is a different level. I mean, and it's bound to be. You know, it's a World Champions. It's the quarterfinal of a World Cup. But this is a different level from anything they've faced so far. I mean, you would expect as well. Sometimes you would expect to have met someone um, who is sort of almost on a par with your quarterfinal opponents. England really haven't. And we'll go into more depth later, I'm sure. And which is why I'm possibly um, not as optimistic as some in the England media section. It might be that I got up at like five, I couldn't sleep this morning, I got up at five o'clock. Maybe I, maybe I just grew up at the wrong side of the bed. But maybe one of the reasons I'm not as optimistic and as bullish about England's chances is that I do think it's going to be a, a big shock um, when I say shock, a big change to come up against a team such as France and their array of attacking talent when really we haven't been up against an array of, well, any attacking talent really in the first four games. No, uh, I don't think really there's a, they haven't come up against a world-class attacker. Um, uh, John, did you want to ch- chip in on that? I had another question for you, but if you wanted to pick up on the back of Andy there, I saw you were dying to, ju- to uh, jump no, in. No, 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 not really. No, no, um, me, me and Andy have become very, very close, I must say, on, on uh, in the last few weeks, even closer than we were before, sharing our, sharing our videos, sharing our, sharing our um, ironing and, uh, and washing of smalls, um, uh, frankly, in the apartment. But no, look, I, I, I have to say I'm in general agreement with Andy on this one. So it's, please don't get me wrong, there's a difference between getting excited and getting nervous and getting sort of kind of nervous, positive energy about it. And I do feel... Um, you know, optimistic. I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to perhaps predictions later. But look, I, I, I think you'd be foolish not to. <laughs> I'm, I'm like with Andy. Please don't get me wrong. I'm being swept along on a wave of optimism and I'm loving England's campaign. I think they've done really, really well. Um, I'm not in total agreement with him about sort of kind of they haven't met anyone yet. I think every World Cup game is a, is a hard game and a test. But I do think that he's absolutely spot on. We haven't met anyone on the same level as France. And, you know, to be absolutely clear here, I think France are favourites. I think, you know, in Kylian and Mbappe, they've got the best player in the world. They're world champions. They know what it takes to win. But I think the difference is that England have a chance. And I think that England, perhaps going into previous tournaments, they haven't had that chance. You know, they would have gone gone into this game and thought, well, they'll they'll lose that game. But it's been it's been fun while it's lasted. The difference this time is that you know England have, have a you know have more than a puncher's chance. They're, they're 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 a good team. They've evolved under Southgate. They're in there for for the fighting. Who knows? It might go to penalties. Who knows? You know, England might, you know, nick a winner. We shouldn't forget that anything is possible in tournament football. Switzerland beat France in the Euros, didn't they? So I I just think they're not unbeatable. But I do do think that France were my, you know, team that I picked before the start of the tournament. And I've seen nothing yet to change my view on that. 
and also, you know, you might have to uh, consider the fact that Deschamps has kind of had to pick a team on the fly, really, uh, in the run-up to this. You know, he's lost Conte, Pogba, Nkunku, Benzema, Hernandez during the tournament. Varane was dodgy before we started. Um, you know, they've had to sort of um, mend and make do uh, as they've gone along, but been impressive for that. Now, one player I wanted to talk about, obviously, was Mbappe. Um, I saw some interesting comments earlier on this week. Some of the England players saying Kyle Walker's the idea. They want nobody else in the world to up against uh, Kylian Mbappe uh, other than Kyle Walker. And then I saw Yusuf Fofana respond to that yesterday by saying, well, if Kyle Walker's got the secret to, to stopping Kylian Mbappe, then maybe he should share it because people have been trying to stop him for the last five years in the Champions League and nobody's managed to come up with it. any sort of solution. How do you see that battle? Uh, I think that's been identified as sort of a, a, a hot point uh, on the field on Saturday night is, is that sort of England right back France left winger uh, showdown between Mbappe and and Walker. Well, I, I think that the Walker will have to improve on on what he showed against Senegal. When I said before, they haven't faced any great attacking threat. When they did um, get caught on the counter a couple of times against Senegal uh, in that first half, Carl uh, Walker showed his rustiness. And why wouldn't he be rusty? You know, he's been out for a long time. Uh, you know, and making your comeback in in, in in the heat of a World Cup isn't ideal. So I actually thought Kyle Walker didn't have a particularly good game against Senegal um, and up against Mbappe. The Mbappe thing and Kyle Walker thing is interesting. They played they played against each other three times, uh, Manchester City against PSG. Um, Mbappe is on record as saying that Walker is one of his most difficult opponents. Um, in those three games, City won two and um, PSG won one. Um, and City fans will tell you that that, that that Walker had good games against Mbappe. Strangely enough, and, and Kyle Walker spoke at length about about Mbappe, um, but he did actually say that, that, that really when he's against PSG, he was mainly marking Neymar. So the whole thing was was just a little bit of an anomaly on that. Um, I think if you're leaving Kyle, if you're if you're suggesting it's going to be one on one, as everyone is, with Walker against Mbappe, there'll be an element to that. But listen. It's got to be the whole defence. And Bappy's not going to be, you know, he's, he's not just going to sort of say, right, okay, it's me against Kyle Walker. I'm just going to stick out there. Of course he won't. I mean, their front line is extremely fluid. That's what makes a great front line. All great, all great front threes are extremely, extremely fluid, or three or however many. They're all extremely interchangeable. You only have to look at Manchester City, you know, in in, in the last four years, the way they play. They set the the um, the benchmark at club level. So the idea of Mbappe is just going to sort of say, and, and why wouldn't he, for example, if, and, you know, we, we, we've been obsessed on their relative speeds, you know, um, Mbappe is the fastest player left in the World Cup. Um, he wasn't the fastest player here. Um, those people have now gone who are ahead of him. Walker is not far behind him on the stats, and we've obsessed with that, with those. But why would Mbappe put himself up against Walker all the time, someone who can match it? Why wouldn't he Why wouldn't he say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'll just switch and maybe Harry Maguire, who, to put it mildly and to put it very um, with respect, isn't quite quick as Kyle Walker. Um, um, so you know, I, I get it, it's too simplistic to put. And as Walker has said, and as Mbappe, I'm sure would say if he ever spoke to the media, it is too simplistic to put it down to a battle between Kyle Walker and Kylian Mbappe. As it happens, and again, I'm sure we'll get onto this. I don't really want to do it now, but again, I'm in a minority. A, a really, really small minority who believes, and uh, it won't happen, but uh, but I believe because of that threat, 
I believe England should go back to um, a back three, five, whatever you want to call it. Well, let's get into that, Andy. Um, that's I, I had that to. I was coming up with that yes. right now. So why don't we why don't we take that well, that up from there? England's formation yeah. on Saturday. And- England's formation. I mean, I, I listen. I mean, I, I expect it to be the same. Um, I wouldn't be surprised with the same. As I say, I am in the minority. I personally would sacrifice one of the midfielders. I'd sacrifice Jordan Henderson. Straightforward, I would play Carl Walker on, on on the right of a three. So Walker, um, Stones, Maguire, Shaw and Trippier. Um, and then Rice and Bellingham and then um, Saka, Kane and Foden. So Shaw is the third centre-back inside on the left. No, no, you no, mean? no, 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 no. Walker, Stones, Maguire. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. And Trippier and, and sure, Shaw. Trippier. Call it what you yeah. want. Call it five and a back three. Call it three, four, three, whatever you want to call it. But basically, the, 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 the three centre-backs, Carl Walker on the right, of course, they've played that formation many, many times. Um, not recently, but many times. Um, yeah, Walker, Stones, Maguire, Shaw, Trippier. And and what you have to do then, of course, is lose a midfielder. So um, one of Henderson, Rice and Bellingham. I'd lose Henderson um, and then Saka, um, Foden and Kane. I mean, clearly, you, you, you sacrifice the more attacking nature of this England team that has scored, you know, 12 goals in four games with eight different goal scorers. And it would go down, I mean, it really would go down like a lead balloon with probably 99.9% of England fans and pundits, to be fair. But I just generally think, you, you know, you've got to be practical. It's a quarter foul. You win the game however you can. And I just think to leave, I think there's doubts about Harry Maguire. Because his form has been so poor leading it going into the World Cup. He's been okay at this World Cup. Again, I'll come back to the fact that he hasn't actually been particularly tested, simply not in the man that he's going to be tested tomorrow night. I think Carl Walker hasn't played for a couple of months, comes in, is rusty and, and you know, is still adjusting. And I just think that back four, that back four against the array of attacking talent that France have got, not just Mbappe, but Dembele. Griezmann, Giroud, I just think, I think we're all in for an extremely rude awakening if we stick to that back four. And I really do fear for that. And I hope that, that you know, it, 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 I think I think if England play that game, they will concede goals. I really do. I, and now, listen, they're playing so well, England, going forward, and that combination of Rice, Henderson, Bellingham worked well against um, Senegal. In essence, a far more attacking formation, and maybe they'll score more goals than France. But I think I, I, I think a back four concedes goals. I think with, with the insurance of Trippier, um, so in essence, you'd have Trippier and Walker um, doubling up um, down that right hand side on Mbappe. I think that's a good insurance to have. As I say, it would go down very badly with people, I'm sure. But that's uh, that's what I think he should do. Will do? I think he will do it. No, over to John. Yeah, then you just have to worry about Luke Shaw against Usman Dembele on the other side. Uh, John, there's always a trade-off, isn't there? Because as Andy says there, if you if you field a back three, back five, then you lose it out in midfield. And as we've seen, where where France may be losing the numbers game against a bigger side, that could be in midfield because they really play with a midfield too. They, they play with Chumeni and they play with Rabiot and then they have Griezmann ahead of that. Now, Griezmann, in my mind, is an attacker. He's a number 10. He's not really a midfielder, although he's played well in the tournament to this point. So it's a trade-off, isn't it? If, if, they, if they win in, in defence, they lose in midfield. It, it absolutely is. And look, you, you're right about Griezmann. And I think that it's very clear to me that, that France, uh, and I love their style and I love their attacking players. They've got an awesome front line. But 
frankly, it might as well be 4-2-4 for France because, you know, Griezmann does drop into that into that pocket, into that hole and makes things happen from midfield. But we're kidding no one. He's not... <laughs> he's, I don't think you can class him as part of their midfield because he's always on, on the attack. Listen, no, one's going to, I think, no one's going to mistake him for Jordan Henderson, are they? Let's be honest. No, you're definitely not going to. You're definitely not going to. I, I feel like... Griezmann's having the tournament of his life. I mean, you know, I went to France's game with Denmark when they were absolutely, you know, sensational against very good opponents. Yes, Denmark went out early. They they, they kind of never reached the, the heights that we expected to uh, of them um, th- th- this tournament. And that was partly because France kind of, you know, beat them in that game. It was a real test for France. And, and they came through it and won it and produced, you know, certainly one half of football that, that was, you know, right up there in terms of level of performance. And everyone raved about Mbappe and rightly so. But honestly, Griezmann drove that game. Griezmann was exceptional. And for everything that's happened in his in his kind of club career, because he's had some real highs and lows, you know, he's been so consistent, so reliable, so dependable for France. I mean, it's incredible stat that he's not missed a game uh, for five and a half years for France. It's a run of caps, you know, uh, what, 70, 70 odd, you know, over 70 caps, uh, consecutive caps, because Deschamps just rates him, absolutely puts so much faith in him. And, you know, that's part of the, the, the French dynamic. But, you know, why I passionately believe that England should stick with the four is because that they have gone on the front foot themselves. They have attacked teams. They've entertained us. You know, it, it, they've smashed goals for fun, basically. What You know, how many goals is it now? I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic. You know, I know it's sort of bloated by the, the six-goal haul against Iran, but even so, you know, three against Wales, three against Senegal. They've been, you know, brave. They've been vibrant. They've been entertaining. And I just think it's, uh, I think it's a really sort of kind of fantastic um you know, approach that they've had. And I think that to concede that and go back to a back three, I think would be the wrong approach. It would, I think, hand the initiative to France. And also, by the way, if England lost playing that way, then the, the stick that Southgate would get would, would be unbearable. And, and you know, I don't think Gareth Southgate deserves anything like that. And I don't think he should put it on himself simply because I think he's had yet again another wonderful tournament. You needed reminding that Southgate's the, the right man for England. And, you know, that also England is the right job for Southgate. Well, it's come again in this tournament, frankly, in my view. And I love the fact that he has released that proverbial handbrake and I don't think he should be, you know, be any remotely thinking about putting it back on now. And nor do I think he will, by the way, because I just think that England should go out on the front foot. I think they will go out on the front foot. And, you know, I'd love to see them, you know, if they do go out, well, it's better to die trying. But I think if they have any hope of winning is because they utilise their strengths and their strengths are the attacking players and that kind of attacking mindset, which has just been wonderful. As much as the build-up, Andy has has focused on on Kylian Mbappe and what he might do and how dangerous he is, and he's the best player in the world. We shouldn't overlook England's threats, should we? Um, as, and as the as the English media has sort of 
I don't know, I wouldn't say obsessed, but certainly been worried about Mbappe in the build-up to this. The French press is really worried about something in the England lineup, which is the set pieces. They don't believe that France has the capability of defending uh, free kicks and corners against a team like England, who have players like Stones, Maguire, and not only that, but but the right players to deliver balls into the area. So is that a place where England will seek to, to make hay on Saturday night, Andy, do you think? Yes, they, they always do. They haven't in this tournament, you know, which is the unusual thing. Clearly, it, the set-piece play... Um, certainly at World Cup 2018 was a huge part of the game. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, uh, any number of goals they scored from set pieces, um, they have in this tournament. Um, but that that is clearly, uh, you know, a facet of their game. They should be stronger. You know, Maguire and Stones, in particular, he's unsung Stones. He, he can get on the end of a cross. So set pieces will be um, will be a factor. I I actually spoke to a few French journalists yesterday and and. We were sort of picking each other's brains, asking sort of what the feeling was in their camp. What you, you mentioned there about them, um, a little bit worried about, about Harry Maguire at set piece. I think was the um, um, was the gist of that. But they also they also said that they, they believe that um, England have a deeper squad than France. And you mentioned Pete at the start, the players that Didier Deschamps has had to do without through injury. Um, and, and, and you know, Southgate's been pretty fortunate that that's not the case with him. You, you know, he, he, he pretty much has. You know, he's, he's had no particular injury concerns. Raheem Sterling is now back in the squad, so he has twenty-five players who are absolutely fighting fit. And their concern was that the England squad is deeper, and that what maybe Southgate can affect the game more from the bench than Deschamps can. And in that sense, they were they were particularly putting the spotlight on a player such as Marcus Rashford or Raheem Sterling or Jack Grealish. You know, they um, you've got high-quality players on the bench, attacking players who can make a difference. And that might be an issue. That might be, you know, and again, I, I take what John's saying completely about, about what would happen if he went back to the five. I don't know. And, and listen, he won't. But, you know, if he did... As I say, it, on the very, very ultra-slim chance he did, he would still have the opportunity, clearly, to to change things, particularly when games last about two hours now. Like, you know, so you've got all the time in the world, world to change it. Um, but, um, and, and just going quickly back to that as well, I, I do think that, you know, I, as well as Bellingham, Rice and Henderson worked against Senegal, um, I just personally, for as brilliant a professional as he's been and outstanding as he's been, I just wonder if, if if it might be this game might be a little a little quick a little sort of a little bit a little bit too too quick for, for say Jordan Henderson you know I I don't know I, he, he he hasn't had the greatest of club seasons but so that'd be in my mind. But in answer to your question, yes, set pieces should be um, should be a source of attacking threat and promise for England, and I do think the the other source of attacking promise will be from the bench. I mean, I expect Marcus Rashford to come on and cause them problems. And that's where they can be got at pace at the back. I think uh, I think they're vulnerable. The benches uh, could swing it. As you mentioned, you know, games that are lasting nearly two hours and that's even without taking into account extra time. Uh, so it could be one of them. You know, you can get you get five of them as well. So, you know, it's, it could be a, a team of 16 that wins this match rather than a team of 11. Um, and on England's, England's options, John, um, do you think... Are, are, are we settled with that front three? Or is there a chance that, that Sterling could come back into the team? 
Uh, Rashford has obviously been among the goals and he's he's really quick. Could we see a start for Sterling or Rashford or or, or you think, or even Jack Grealish, or, or do you think that the, the front three picks itself at the moment? No, front three picks itself, in my view, and um, I also think Gareth Southgate's view. So I think that um, Harry Kane, obviously, you know, been playing really well, getting stronger, scored last time out. And, you know, he was talking about kind of hitting the peak at the right time. Um, and I think he's really on course to do that. I think that that Foden, you know, just look at his 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 work rate, his assists, and you know the clever sort of play and reading of the game that he brings to uh, to every every fixture is is fantastic. And Saka, it's just just yeah, people write off Saka and almost overlook him. I mean, every time he just you know he, his his decision making is sensational. It's you know what two three years ago you know when when he's kind of he was he was breaking through and coming to the fore. He had already by then the decision-making of a player way beyond his years. He just never, never makes a wrong choice, basically. And he's such an efficient player. He's the epitome, to, to my mind, of the modern winger, who basically is, you know, very, very quick, incredibly work, you know, hardworking, um, uh, provides assists, provides goals, you know, is the driving force of every team that he plays in, in basically. We shouldn't overlook the fact that he deserves, I think, a bit more respect as, as England's player of the year rather than someone we sort of overlook just because, you know, other other players have bigger names or personalities because he is is all about the football, basically. I think he's a wonderful player. He's a wonderfully sort of entertaining lad as well, sort of kind of really humble and kind of, you know, I, I just think he, he brings something really good to the team where I think you know the other players come into it look look Sterling will train today we expect so you know he's flown back in but he's missed a lot of training this week I just don't think that he perhaps will even be involved um against France I'm sure he'll get stripped but I don't I don't really see him making too much of an impact but where I think you know you, you, you where you've got five substitutes Rashford and Grealish you're going to struggle to make you know, better substitutes than than them in the tournament. And again, when I talk about England having a chance and when they have hope, it's because of the bench. They have a much more rounded squad, I think, than France. So I think France have a better starting eleven, in my view. Uh, you know, across the uh, uh, across this kind of pitch, but I think England have a better squad, so have a deeper squad, perhaps. And I think, you know, Andy was talking to some French journalists this week, so was I, and basically that's what they say, basically. I, I, I think that they're a little bit more pessimistic about France sort of in the French press, simply because I think that basically they think England have a really, really strong squad. And I think that, um, you know, they see a danger of England being able to change change a game from the bench. You know, I know Andy and how much he loves the five substitute rule. Um, but he, he, you know, that that's the key, you know, for Gareth Southgate. If he can change the game, like completely change the dynamic of a, of, of a match with five substitutes, i.e. changing half the team. I get it, by the way, with, with Andy's point. I just don't think that's right. And then basically, I, you know, so be it. And he can make substitutes that really change and impact the game. And that's where England, I think, can be so, so effective. At the right moments, Southgate has been making really good substitutes. And I think, you know, if he can do the same again against France, then I think that gives England one hell of an edge.
what a test that is uh, for Gareth Southgate uh, against one of the best managers that there's ever been um, in, in Didier Deschamps. The power is uh, is entirely in Gareth's hands, as, as, as Paddy McGuinness might say on Take Me Out. Um, before we move on and preview uh, quickly the other uh, quarterfinals, can we just get a, a prediction from, from you guys for this one? John, if you don't mind, I'll start with you. I'm going to go France 2, England 1. I think it'll be a tight game. Um, I think it will be a really nervous game. I think it'll be an attacking game. I think it will all be about the attackers. I, I, I just feel England have had a wonderful tournament. I don't think there's any shame in losing to the world champions at the quarterfinal stage. But I do think, I think, listen, I, as I say, I think England have a genuine chance in this game. But ultimately, I do think that France are the best team in the tournament. They've got the best player. And I do think they'll come up on Trump, uh, up Trump's just, just. Just. Uh, Andy, give us something more optimistic than that. Well, I was supposed to be the pessimistic one and John's the optimistic one. So he, he comes out with all that and then says we're going to get beat. <laughs> but I agree with him. I agree with him. And, 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 and unfortunately, I actually think that, again, there'll be no shame in, in it. Um, and obviously, I really, really, really hope that England win. Um, and I really think they're an extremely good team. And if they put it all together then they've clearly got a chance. I would call a game 60-40 in favour of France. And for that reason, I'd go for the same score as John as well. I'd go for 2-1. I do think England will score, um, but I do think France against um, England's defence will also score, and they'll score more than one. So, um, as I say, fingers crossed that, that we're, we're both proved wrong, but we're both going for the same score. I'll go 2-1 as well to France. Oh, ye of little faith. Ye of little faith. You need an outsider's perspective on this one. I'm going to say England are going to win this one. I think they're going to win it narrowly. I think they'll have a game plan. They'll stick to it. It's going to be a boring game, a tight game, nil-nil heading into the into the last knock-ins. And I think they're going to come up with something from the bench. I think England are going to win it. Fantastic. I love your faith, Peter. I love it. And listen, I would love, I would love and, you know, pray for an England victory. I would love nothing more because I get so passionate about England. And, you know, during England games, I'm, I'm unashamedly completely biased on England match nights. but. You know, I, I, yeah, it's, it's the opponent, basically. The opponent is so good. But, you know, I'd love to be proved wrong. Love it. Yes, great. Uh, what I wouldn't give to see my country in a World Cup quarterfinal. Um, it's been a long time. Um, I just want to talk briefly, because uh, we're running out of time and all you guys need to go, uh, about some of the other uh, quarterfinals. First up, we've got Brazil uh, against Croatia uh, this afternoon. And if Brazil score, Andy, can we expect to see the Macarena or something like that? Or are they? Sorry, who knows? They've got 10. They've got 10 routines, 10 different routines, and they'll do one after after each goal. What you can't expect, I don't think, is for them to score four goals in half an hour like they did at the game that I was at, that Brazil-South Korea game last what did say, last Monday, I think it was, Monday. Best, best attacking performance of the tournament so far from any team, mm. I would say. Best half hour. The best, the best first half, yes. The best half of football I've seen. They were absolutely sensational. Listen... I, I, you know, they can dance to the heart's content as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely fantastic. I was really impressed with the speed at which they moved the ball um, against South Korea. Again, as a caveat, in the South Korea looked a little bit tired after a very sort of like strenuous group campaign for them. Don't forget that, you know, you know they had a very intense last game with that group stage. Brazil didn't. Brazil rested so many players. Um, but I thought they were fantastic, Brazil. I mean, I mean it was a real... I mean, I thought they're better than I thought they're going to be when I sat there in the stadium watching them live. So, but will they score four and a half against Croatia? 
No, far better organised than South Korea. Um, they they have that tournament tournament now, as England know, to their cost. Um, but I still expect Brazil to win and will relatively comfortably, I have to say. John, uh, I wanted to ask you about um, another quarterfinal match. And if there's an opposite of seeing uh, Vinicius and Neymar and the boys and so forth uh, doing their dancing on the field, it's it's Amrabat sliding into challenges and Bono making saves. Uh, Morocco have really come in for some criticism from from the Spanish uh, contingent. Rodri saying that they did nothing. All they did was sat in and countered. Um, valid criticism or sour grapes, do you think? And what do you expect from Morocco? I'm completely sour grapes. I mean, you know, we're talking about a Spanish team here that played 1,019 passes to absolutely nowhere. I mean, sorry, if you want to talk about sitting deep and not hurting, I mean, talk about Spain. I mean, you know, just let them play in front of you, you know, because they'll knock it around all day and paint, paint pretty pictures. They've got two of the best midfield talents in world football. And yet don't utilise them because they're not allowed to pass it forward, it feels like, you know. So complete and utter sour grapes. I think Morocco's been one of the best stories of the tournament so far. You know, the first um, North African team to reach quarterfinals, first Arab team to reach quarterfinal and the first Arab World Cup. I mean, come on. I mean, this is this is a good story. But I do feel it, it, it ends here, frankly, um, unfortunately. But I do, I do think that they've kind of, you know, really taken a step forward. Don't forget that they really felt as if this World Cup should be there. So, but, I, I, you know, I think that they've done ever so well up until this point. I do think you are getting into the kind of the, the heavyweight section of this of this tournament. I think it's great. I'm, I'm a, a real stickler for, for, you know, I love a good upset story. I also do like that when it when it comes to the business end, I really want to see kind of four massive heavyweights in the semifinals. And I actually think that's what you're going to get. Um, sticking with that match, Andy, um, Ronaldo has learned nothing. He did the exact same thing to Eric Ten Hag as he's done to Fernando Santos and he's cost himself a place in in the national team, a really strong-looking national team with his replacement, Gonzalo Ramos, coming in and scoring a hat-trick. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I, I think if anyone actually really believes that Fernando Santos dropped Cristiano Ronaldo because he threw a, a bit of a huff of being taken off against South Korea, then I, I think they're, they're very, very much um, uh, misguided. He didn't drop him because... Absolutely, he didn't. He didn't drop him because of that. He dropped him because he wanted a more dynamic, um, a, a more youthful, um, harder work in front line in the first knockout stage, um, first knockout stage game of the tournaments for Portugal. And it, I mean, it, 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 the change was obvious. You know, a twenty-one-year-old, full of vibrancy, full of you know, he worked so hard. Obviously, brilliant finishes, made an assist, and. Every Portugal player you spoke to in the mix zone, including Bernardo Silva, said, "You know, it it, it it just felt more as though, you know, we were we had more we were more dynamic going forward than we were more dynamic. It was just it was a footballing change. People forget that Cristiano Ronaldo, prior to this tournament, was not guaranteed his place in Portugal starting lineup um, over the last year. And Fernando Santos has known him for as he reminds us since Ronaldo was nineteen. They've had a relationship since then, and." You know, yeah, listen, that happened to be a, a coincidence that, that Ronaldo had thrown one of his drops. The fact of the matter is, I genuinely believe, I genuinely believe that no matter how he'd reacted at the end of that game, he was going to be dropped anyway. 
I mean, absolutely no doubt at all about that. And anyone within the Portugal camp, you, you, you speak to him and they say that's the case because it was just too much for him. You know, he, he, is, he is 38 in three months' time, February. Um, you know, and, and that's just a fact. You know, I mean, that's just, I'm, I'm without him, they look sensational. Sad. And by the way, just going back to very much earlier um, when we were speaking about. Um, the semi-final for England against France. I'll tell you what, I haven't seen any better sides than Portugal in this tournament, and that includes France. I thought they were exceptional the other night. I mean, really good. I've thought that from day one. They are a good, good team. I mean, a really good team. Great balance um, in the squad. And listen, I'll tell you what, whoever wins that game, England-France, Portugal will beat Morocco and that game, the semi-final, there'll be no favourites in that game. Let me tell you, it will be 50-50 whether it's England-France versus Portugal in that game. I expect Portugal, I expect Portugal to win tonight without Ronaldo starting. I was going to say, we're probably doing Portugal a disservice talking again about Ronaldo because even somebody like Rafa Leao coming off the bench and scoring a goal like that, you know, um, a tour de force, a, a real tour de force attack and performance the other night against a Switzerland team who've, who were tournament ready, who were always quite resilient at, at this stage of tournaments and they were just obliterated, completely blown away. Um, the last uh, quarterfinal, I, I mean, there's been enough ink spilt on, on Lionel Messi now to fill plenty of newspapers. Uh, I wanted just to talk briefly, John, about, about uh, Louis van Gaal. Um, obviously, he's had his cancer scare. Uh, he's not been in the best of health. Uh, but he's been really enjoying himself uh, at this World Cup and making an impression too with, with some good tactical performances, especially against the United States last time out. Uh, we saw him in the press conference yesterday joking that uh, Memphis Depay was with him at Man United and now they're kissing each other on the mouth, which uh, which was to uh, Depay's eternal uh, embarrassment. But there's a great affection from the, from these Dutch players towards Van Hal. You could see that in how they treat him. They're putting their arms around him. They see him as, as quite an avuncular figure. Um he he really deserves this World Cup, Louis Van Gaal, doesn't he? Um, Not the trophy. I mean, the, I, I don't mean the trophy. I mean the campaign no, that he's no, having. No. Yes and no. I, I I do feel as if I do feel as if I watched that United States game, and I thought Holland were a little bit lucky. Really, I mean, the US's finishing was 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 frankly woeful. But I thought they were good in other aspects of the pitch. And I think he, you know, at one nil, you know, the United States already missed chances. At a kind of two nil, that kind of killed it. And then the, you know, United States came back to make it two one. I thought they were massively on top of the game. And then the Dutch, you know, get a third and kill it basically. I, I mean, do do I love you know Van Gaal's tactics? Do I love his, you know, his approach to football? Not really. So I don't really, you know, feel that overwhelming sense of of love for it. Ask Man United fans what they think about his tactics, you know. I mean, it's just, you know, sorry, sorry to be a killjoy in a fairy tale, but, you know, it is a nice story. Yeah, that's Andy's job. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to be a sort of kind of a killjoy on this, but, I, you know, really, I, I, I don't know whether he really falls into into kind of into line with the, with the Dutch philosophy, with their total football approach. I really don't think so. But I tell you what he does do brilliantly. He gets the best out of a quite average group of Dutch players. And what I love about this this particular quarterfinal is the rivalry. It's brilliant. You know, it's a, it's a rivalry that, that, that kind of dates back generations. Frankly. As Jose Mourinho would say, this is football heritage. 
Netherlands against Argentina at the World Cup. This is football heritage. It's what it's about, basically. It's what it's about. It's about, it's about, you know, whether it's 1978, whether it's, you know, Bergkamp, Wondergoal, it's it's just there. And they've got so much history and there will be so much determination. I watched, you know, Argentina in their last 16 game last, last weekend. And honestly, I feel as if they're quite lucky to be here. They're lucky to be fancied by so many. And frankly, if Holland can get it right, can get a bit of a rub of the green as they did against the United States, then anything is possible. Messi, Messi propels this, this Argentinian team to, to a different level, a level that is not really um, within their grasp at the moment. They've got a good goalkeeper in Martinez. You know, I think Sandra Martin, um, Martinez has also been excellent, really. But where, you know, where else? It's it's really quite an average side which Messi lifts, and I think you know Messi has got to then sort of kind of deliver. It's the weight of a nation on his shoulders. He is carrying the whole of Argentina. He's done it before, and he's excelled before. I, I don't think we'll see the winners come from from this particular pairing, but I do think you know we will see a wonderful, historic, brilliant, glamorous World Cup clash. And Andy, just before we go, then. Um... Are, what's what's the final four for the World Cup in your opinion? So let's have a, a winner from each of these quarterfinals. John, I'll come to you after, and then we'll we'll close out. Uh, Holland, Portugal, Brazil, and France. Holland, Holland will beat Argentina. Um, I, I think today, um, Portugal will beat Morocco. Brazil will beat Croatia, and France will beat England. They're my four. What about you, John? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I do think we'll see an Argentina Brazil final uh, uh, semi final. Sorry, I do think we will see a France Portugal um, semi final as well. That that is seriously heavyweight football. That is, and uh, that that that's a tournament I think that, that to be to be proud of and and kind of you know uh, delivered really fantastic. It's what everyone wants to see is is heavyweight nations uh, competing at this end of the tournament. And um, yeah, let's hope we get it. And let's hope for your guys' sake, for everybody listening, let's hope you get England there as well. I, I mean, I think you should have a little bit more faith, Ollie, and I think you should be uh, enjoy the game. Um, that's uh, Andy Dunn and John Cross live uh, from Doha. You can catch all their stuff in print and online uh, from the mirror. Uh, please keep up with whatever they do. Please keep up with everything that we do. Like, subscribe, uh, give us your opinions. Um and enjoy the games over the course of the weekend. And hopefully we'll be back early next week uh, to talk about England moving into the uh, World Cup semi-finals. So from me, Andy and John, thank you for joining us. 